Good morning again to all of you in person. So good to see your faces. Thank you for all of you joining us online today. Thank you for Riverside, the Dallas-Fort Worth folks in the house. We always need a little bit of DFW right here in the 901. So thank you for being here, for serving our city. Uh, they are a part of Serve 901 this week, and we hope that Memphis is able to bless you a little bit while you are here, and we thank you for how you were blessing Memphis. This past week, our kids were at church camp, so Casey and I were not unpaid Uber drivers for a week. We had a great time just being together, hanging out, working hard, eating dinner at night. Uh, this was a crazy week of ministry. Every week of ministry for me always has a 15 to 20 hour project. Sermons have to come every Sunday. So that always happens no matter what else is going on. But this was a week that I found myself at Regional One, not for myself, but finding someone else who, uh, a week ago today, there was a 16 year old girl named McKenna who was with two friends. They were driving back home to Kentucky and uh, they ended up having a head on collision with a semi, two other friends are doing well. McKenna pretty much broke everybody from the waist down and I got a message that McKenna was in the trauma unit at Regional One. So I went and I found McKenna. I found her mom Angie and I'm asking for you to be praying for McKenna. She's going through multiple surgeries right now. They may be online with us this morning but we're asking for the healing power of God to be on them. Throughout this past week I found myself on, uh, on the phone with people who were hearing about cancer diagnosis and sickness and illness and people who are trying to navigate faith and uh, culture and how do they help teach their kids about faith with uh, everything going on in our culture and and just a lot of these things that were happening in my life and then I get a call or a, a couple of weeks ago I was informed by the Foreman family that Knox Foreman who is one of the six people who was baptized this week wanted me to come out and baptize him at camp so I did I went out there Thursday night I had Knox answer two questions of what do you believe about Jesus and why do you want to be baptized? And one of his answers was that through the power of Jesus, he can help me whoop that sin, which is so Memphis. Uh, and, and how to say that? It's exactly what we want for him in his life. But to hear Knox articulate as a young man, his faith in God, his faith in Jesus, and, and that day to be able to claim that that day the Holy Spirit was coming to live in him forever. Praise God for that. Yesterday, I was able to be a part of the grocery giveaway. First time I've been here on a Saturday morning. I've been able to come up on Friday nights and help pack food before, but first time to be here and just to witness Terry Miller and the team that helps do this. And within 30 minutes, we handed out 120 bags of groceries to those who are in need. And they circle around this building and they do two by two because we do things biblical around here, all right? They come in pairs. But to see the team, how they didn't just place bags of groceries in cars, but how they pastor people. And then to witness my good friend, Jeff Cousins. Now here's the deal, all right, Jeff is a retired administrator, a retired principal, and if Jeff and I were to race 10 times, 40 yard dash, 100 meters, doesn't matter, I will destroy him in every race. But to see Jeff race and chase after cars to pray with people, I think Jeff would beat me every time. He was placing his body in front of cars to stop them before they went out on Sycamore View and to see him stop people and care for people and pray for people. I wanted to pray for people in the shade. Jeff was out in like the surface of the sun out there, like just nine o'clock in the morning praying for people. And I just praise God for all the ways he's working in and through uh, this church. Two years ago, we launched eight core values. And the reason we launched 
because we want to be a church. It's in, we're on a journey together to become something. Like we want to be people. We want to become the people God wants us to be. So these values like help us to live into God's heart. So I want to work through them just as a reminder this morning. Here are eight of them. I'm going to do it quickly. And the reason I'm doing this is to remind us on the journey we are on, who we are in the process of becoming. And I just want you to think about it as each one of these pops up on this screen. Like if you were to embody this, like if you tried to live into it, how would your life with God be better? How would how would people like you more? How would your life be full of more worth or value if you try to live into what this value means? The first value you would read on our website or on walls in this church is that we courageously anticipate the movement of God because we believe God is not just a God of history. God is a God who is doing things now. That God is the one who claimed to be the great I am and at no point in history has God ever become the great I was or the great I will be again one day. He is and will always be the great I am. We have a value that says we boldly raise up discipleship as the mission of the church because we believe that God is a God who wants to be followed. He, he set an example for us. He wants us to be more like Jesus. And we're not here just to try to download information into you. We are here to look more like Jesus. We have a value that says we're passionate about connecting people to God. This is a value about evangelism. This is a value that we want God to place on us a burden for people who are disconnected from faith or disconnected from Jesus, either because they've never chosen Jesus or currently they may be rejecting Jesus. We want to be passionate about helping connect people to Jesus and removing all obstacles, even if it's us, of helping people connect to him. We have a value that says we willingly stand with the marginalized, the poor, the orphan, the stranger, the widow. For Jesus often went to the margins, and he went to the margins to bring value and dignity and worth, and we want to do the same thing. We have a value that says we genuinely care about physical and mental health, that we believe that in and through Jesus, he has set an example that Jesus wants to set the whole body right, like everything we are. So this is how we pray, this is how we want to care for people. We have a value that says that we uh, are honored to carry a ministry of reconciliation because we are not called by God to build walls, but to build bridges. And that we want to build bridges between people of all different walks of life. We have a value that says we strive to give the next generation a compelling story to live into because we're living in a time where the best story, the best narrative wins. And we want to model Jesus for the next generation as we see Jesus in them to help them live into what Jesus wants for them. And last but not least, it's just a declaration that we are a restoration movement. We believe, we believe that God is in the business of restoring all things and we just want to partner with God in that. Our address is 1910 Sycamore View Road, so our mission is helping people see Jesus. Because in Luke chapter 19, it's Zacchaeus who climbs up in a sycamore tree. We're on Sycamore View Road, and that's who we want to be. We want to get a peek of Jesus. We want to help other people see who Jesus is. So right now, we're in a series called Pinned. Like you have that Google Map pin that occasionally you use. And in this series, what we're talking about is just different locations. Because part of what I want to do in this short little seven-week series, part of what I'm trying to do is to help you see that our God is real. God stepped into real places, real locations, walked real roads, real marketplaces, real fields. Like God walked in these places. You can walk in them today. And, and you may never be able to make it to the Holy Land. You may never be able to walk through streets of Jerusalem. But what happened in those places have shown us that our God was willing to come and step on human dirt, to walk on human ground, on the ground right here that we get to walk on, to show us what God is like. 
So today I want to talk about Jericho. I've had a chance to go to Jericho two different times. This last time, just a couple of months ago, I was in Jericho. I got to see uh, our friend Joyce ride a camel in Jericho. It was in Jericho that our, our tour guide said, come here, I want you to drink this over here. And he gave me an espresso. And I'm not the biggest coffee guy, but this was the strongest espresso I've ever had in my life. I am still feeding off the caffeine from that espresso. <laughs> It made me want to climb a sycamore tree, all right, kind of. We did get to go pose next to a sycamore tree because we are like, we're from Sycamore View Church and we've got to find a sycamore tree. So our guy took us, we got off the bus, we took pictures next to the sycamore tree because we thought that would be cool. Uh, it's probably not the ones that kids climbed on, but we're in Jericho on a sycamore tree, which is really cool. Now, let me talk about cities just for a moment because most cities... Like I already mentioned a city, you may know a city by its reputation, you may know a city by its motto, you may know a city by events that have happened in the city. So for example, if I, if I just mention New York City, you may think the city that never sleeps, or you may think Broadway, or you may think Concrete Jungle, or you may think 9-11 or Twin Towers. If I were to mention Philadelphia, you may think city of brotherly love, you may think the theme song to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. You may think the city that gave us the rock, Rocky Balboa and the famous little jog he does, like climbing the steps, that has motivated some of you in your workouts before. If I were to mention Vegas, you may think the city that, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Or you may think your, your plan, like retirement plan, like that's, that's your only chance for it to happen. When I mention Milan, Tennessee, you may, you probably think crazy people, right? You probably, you probably think places that give us troubled people. And I, every 18 months it's in my contract, I have to make a joke about Milan because some of my closest friends in this church grew up in Milan. But if we mention towns and cities, you may know them by a motto. You may know them by, by it, things that have happened there, events that have happened there. If I mention Jerusalem, what may come to mind is death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, or the birth of the church, or Pentecost, or the launch of the church. If I were to mention Bethlehem, you may think city of David, or where David lived, or you may think where Jesus was born. And when I say Jericho, what probably comes to mind, for those of you who know the Bible very well at all, what probably comes to mind is the story about walls that came tumbling down. Because this is like a favorite in children's ministry stories. Like stories that children hear in children classes, they love it. And maybe one of the reasons they love it is that children don't just like building things, they love destroying things they've built, right? Like you build a Lego set, but it's really fun to destroy the Lego set too. And this is a city in Jericho where these walls came tumbling down. Now, the first mention of Jericho, and I want to walk you through some Old Testament references, and then I want to talk about some New Testament references. You get two phrases that show up a few different times. If you're taking notes, you're going to want to take a picture of this next slide. If you throw this next slide up here, multiple times in these places, in Numbers and Deuteronomy, the phrase that you see is Jordan opposite Jericho or across the Jordan. This is how Jericho is described. This is the phrase or phrases that you use. Because early on in the Bible, Jericho is an obstacle. Jericho is something that needs to be conquered. Jericho is standing in the way of the promised land. And in a way, Jericho is the promised land. And it's opposite the Jordan. And so let me throw a map. If you put, look at this map, and if you look closely on the map, you'll see that there's a Sea of Galilee way up north. You'll see the Dead Sea down south. And you see the Jordan River that connects the two. And when the people of God came out of Egypt in the book of Exodus... The route they took was around the right side of the Dead Sea all the way up to where you see like Bethany beyond the Jordan. And that's where the people of God were. Yet the promised land was over there where Jericho is. 
So they find themselves up against the Jordan River, which at the time was one of the fastest flowing rivers in the world. So imagine if hundreds of thousands of people came up to the Mississippi River and needed to get to West, West Memphis to make our home, but there are no bridges and there are no boats and it's a fast flowing river. Like, how are you going to get across? So for the, for the people of God, now the Jordan River is an obstacle in order for them to get into the promised land. But think about this from Jericho's side. If you lived in Jericho, the Jordan River meant security for you. Because there's no enemy that was going to be able to come and cross the Jordan River. It just, it couldn't happen. There weren't bridges, there weren't boats, there weren't underground tunnels. Like there was, you couldn't swim it, you couldn't do it. So for people in Jericho, the Jordan River meant they're safe. And even when they knew the people of God were on the other side of the Jordan River, they still felt like they were safe. And then you get Numbers chapter 33. And here's what God says in Numbers chapter 33, verse 51 and 52. It says, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you cross the Jordan and the Canaan, which God was going to make a way for this to happen, you drive out the inhabitants of the land before you. You destroy all their carved, carved images and their cast idols. You demolish all their high places. And then you get the story from Joshua 3 to Joshua 6, where there are these walls around Jericho. And all the people who lived in Jericho, they went inside those walls to protect themselves because the people of God, God had made a way because we serve a God who is a way maker. God made a way for them to cross the Jordan. And now the people are inside, and then you have this, the people who walk around Jericho seven times. The walls fall, the city is conquered. And then what you'll have for a couple of books after that are moments when the people of God are told to remember Jericho. Kind of like remember the Alamo. Like remember what has happened. Don't forget what God has done. But you had enemies, he would also say, remember Jericho. Because the enemies of God... The enemies of the people of God, what they were saying is we need to remember Jericho because the same God who worked these wonders in Jericho, if we try to go up against the people of God, the same God may do the same things to us. Remember, like, don't forget what God did in Jericho. And in Joshua chapter 6, Joshua pronounces like a blessing and a curse. It's more of a curse over Jericho. And here's what he says in Joshua 6, 26. At that time, Joshua pronounced the solemn oath this almost curse before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild the city Jericho and at the cost of his firstborn son he will lay its foundations at the cost of his youngest he will set up its gates and hundreds of years later what you read in first Kings chapter 16 verse 34 is this in Ahab's time Hiel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho and he laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son of Iram and he set up its gates at the cost of the youngest son, Sagab, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. Jericho is also the place that tells us that this is where Elijah went up to the heavens. Jericho is the place that we get the prostitute Rahab, who became a hero, whose short little story is told in Hebrews chapter 11 in the Hall of Fame of Faith. Get the last mention of Jericho in the Old Testament. The last mention of it. It's here. In 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 7. This is the last king of Israel before they went into captivity. And it says, They killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and then they put out his eyes, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. 
In Jeremiah chapter 52, the very last chapter of Jeremiah, the last mention of Jericho in the Old Testament, it says this. Jeremiah, he's telling the same story. There at uh, Riblah, the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. He also killed all the officials of Judah. And then he put out Zedekiah's eyes, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon, where he put him to prison till the day of his death. Isn't that a great story? And now some of you are like, dude, how about a better story after we experienced church camp all week and like the movement of God? Now our preacher's going to get up and talk about eyes being gouged out of a king. This is the last story in the Old Testament. So on Tuesday night, I came home. Casey and I were having a dinner together, and Casey said, Hey, talk to me about the sermon you're preparing for this week. Which sometimes I don't know if Casey knows what she's getting into when she says, Hey, talk to me about the sermon. Because she doesn't know if she's going to get the 25, 30 minute version or the hour and a half of things that don't make the sermon that you end up hearing. So we're sitting there eating this great meal together. And I get to the part of, hey, you'll never believe what the last reference of Jericho is in the Old Testament. It's King Zedekiah, and they gouge out his eyes. And she's like in the middle of a bite. And she looked at me, and she's like, we're eating right now. Like, you need to leave out some details. In which my response was, you want me to censor the word of God, like, for you over over this meal? Is that what you want? Like, The last mention in the Old Testament of Jericho is a story about a king whose eyes are gouged. In a way, it also represented what was happening to the people of God in Israel. Because of their rebellion, because of their sin, because they weren't honoring God with their lives, like they got to a point in their lives where they weren't able to see God because they were no longer looking for God. So in a way, like what happens to the people of Israel, this is what happens in King Zedekiah. So the last mention in the Old Testament of Jericho is a story about a king who goes blind. Do you know what the first mention in the New Testament is of Jericho? It's a blind guy who's touched by Jesus and he's able to see. The Old Testament ends with the story of Jericho, or the last reference of Jericho is somebody who goes blind. The first mention in the New Testament of Jericho is a blind guy who's touched by Jesus and he's able to see. In the New Testament, you only get two stories of the city of Jericho, and they're right by each other. The end of Luke chapter 18, beginning of Luke chapter 19. There are only two stories about Jericho in the New Testament. And both of them are stories of the extension of the mercy of God. Where in the Old Testament, you have stories of Jericho about conquering and winning and losing and uh, death and life and uh, a prophet who goes up to the heavens and a king who goes blind like, and curses that are spoken over it and then hundreds of years later it is fulfilled in the New Testament you only get two stories of Jericho and they're two stories of the extension of the mercy of Jesus and in both stories we're given the name of the people Jesus encountered now think about this in the four gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, John of all the healings Jesus did a lot of times you don't know the names of the people Jesus healed. We don't know like the names of the, the people who had leprosy that Jesus healed. You don't know the names of the paralyzed man in Mark chapter 2 that Jesus uh, healed. You don't know the guy with the shriveled hand in Mark chapter 3. You don't know his name. You don't know the name of the blind guy in John chapter 9. But this blind guy in Jericho, like we know his name. His name's Bartimaeus. Mark tells you that in Mark chapter 10. And in Luke chapter 19, you're told the name of a chief tax collector. It's not just chief tax collector guy over there. It's 
Zacchaeus, like you're told the name of both people. Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name. So Jesus and Jericho, it's not just like these two stories of what Jesus did for people. It's what these two stories reveal about, about who Jesus is. That when Jesus steps into a place and when Jesus steps into a relationship, Jesus makes things better. Like he may shake things up a little bit, he may challenge things, but when Jesus steps into a town or a city or a neighborhood or a community or steps into the presence of a person, Jesus' intentions are to make people better. And what's kind of crazy a little bit about these encounters in Jericho is this is about a week before Jesus ends up in Jerusalem where he dies. And he knows what his assignment is. He knows he's on his way to Jerusalem where he is dying for the entire world. He knows that. And it's a major road that goes through Jericho. And on this major road going through Jericho, what you read in Luke chapter 18 verse 35 is before he got to the city, as he approaches the city, he runs into Bartimaeus. The man who is a blind beggar who's on the outskirts of the city begging either for a few coins or a little bit of food. And then once he gets into the city, it's Zacchaeus who is there. Jesus knew his assignment. He had to get to Jerusalem, yet even in the process of getting to Jerusalem to accomplish his purpose, he becomes fully present in the moment that he was in. That no matter how busy Jesus was, he had time to sit with people. He had time to be fully present with people. So as busy as God is doing things all over the world, like we have God's undivided attention right here in this space. The way these stories go is this blind guy, Bartimaeus, is yelling at Jesus, have mercy on me, son of God, have mercy on me. And I think those around Jesus are probably saying, like Jesus, we pass blind beggars all the time, just don't make eye contact, just keep moving forward. Yet Jesus, it says he stood still. And then Jesus asked the blind beggar to come to him. And as Bartimaeus went to Jesus, Jesus asked a question that he asked two different times in the Gospels. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? You're in the presence of a blind man. Like, I think all of us know what the response is. But he asks, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus' response is, I want to see again. The Greek word has a little play in it, where some of your versions may, see, I want to, may say, I want to see. It, it carries more of an idea of, I want to see again, which probably means there was a time in his life when he could see, and now he can't see. So he knows what it was like to see, and now he can't see, and now Jesus heals him. And then it says he gets into, into Jericho as he's moving through the city. And this is where Zacchaeus is trying to get a peek of who Jesus is. We're told Zacchaeus is short, but being a chief tax collector, the crowd probably wasn't too kind to him to get up close to where he could get a look of Jesus. So he climbs the trees where, so he could see Jesus. And this is where Jesus' first response is, come down from the tree because I need to come to your house. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die. He knows his purpose and his, his assignment, yet there's a man who was in need of a touch of, of mercy. So Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. And it's there that they sit at the same table and they recline and Jesus changes his life forever and never asks him to change his profession. Yet he changes who he is, the character inside of him, what he's supposed to do with his money, how he's supposed to treat people. You get two stories in the New Testament about Jericho. And they're two stories of men who most likely were broken and forgotten. 
I didn't have a lot of friends, weren't really accepted in synagogue and church. And though Jesus is just passing through town to get to Jerusalem and Jericho, he pauses to extend mercy twice. This is kind of the trajectory of the story of God in Scripture. Where you look at Jericho in the Old Testament and there's trauma and drama and there's life and death and winning and losing and something that needs to be conquered. Yet in the New Testament, what you have is Jesus who extends mercy so people can have life. I've shared this with you a couple of times over the last dozen or 15 years or whatever. That in Japan, and if you throw these images up on the screen real quick, there's priceless art in Japan. They call this priceless art. It goes for a ton of money. And what they do is it's like broken teacups. It's broken bowls. And they take these broken pieces and they put them back together. And Barbara Bloom, who writes on this, what she says about it is this. She says, when the Japanese men broken objects, they uh, aggrandize the damage by filling the cracks with gold because they believe that when something has suffered damage and has a history, it becomes more beautiful. And today, I just want to, as we come to the table here in just a moment, You may think to yourself today, you may think that you may think you have to behave better in order for you to have a connection to Jesus, but what Jesus and Jericho teach us, that the invitation of Jesus to step into deeper life with him, all it takes from you is a small step of faith or an expression from your life to receive the mercy of God. Or you may think that God is too busy for you because there are some big assignments God's involved in all over the world. Yet anywhere you are, you have God's undivided attention. You don't want to have to worry about God having AirPods in his ears or listening to music or being too distracted. You have God's full attention. You may think that there's not a place at the table for you, but what Jesus and Jericho teaches us is that there's always a place at the table, and while you were on your way to the table, Jesus wants to save you and change you and transform you on the way to the table and where you, when you were at the table. And you may think that your, dark, your past is just too dark. And what Jesus and Jericho teaches us is that there's no darkness that Jesus isn't willing to step into. In fact, in your case, in our case, there's no darkness Jesus hasn't stepped into in order for us to see. So this morning, I want to invite our elders, wherever you are, one of you are coming up front, one to the back, and they are here to receive you for prayer or anything that we can do for you. They are here to receive you, to pastor you in this moment. And over the next few minutes, we're going to make our way to the table. So for Sycamore View people, you, you know what to do in this moment. For Riverside, for other guests we may have, we have six different tables set up with the bread and the cup. And over the next few minutes, there'll be soft music that plays, and you're invited to the table just to get the bread and to take the cup. And as we do this, I want to encourage you over the next few minutes to think about this. Just as blind Bartimaeus cried out to Jesus saying, have mercy on me. We cry out to Jesus today saying, have mercy on us. And Jesus' response is bread and cup. Bread and cup, which promises that there's an event that has happened that has changed us forever. And this event reminds us that every step of the journey, Jesus is with us.
Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. If you want to open your hands where you are just to receive from the Lord this morning, open your hands. For God, as we open up ourselves to receive your mercy, we are counting on you to be the great giver that you are to extend it. And Jesus, as you open the eyes of the blind in Jericho, and as you gave a seat at the table for a man who probably didn't have a seat at many religious tables, invite us to your table again. Through Christ we pray. Amen.